0: Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. I want to set before you three scenarios, four scenarios, and then show you what they have in common. Imagine, if you will, a tired parent who tucks their child in at night and mindlessly utters the same prayer night after night after night. Or a college freshman who goes on a mission trip to Haiti, not because he cares deeply about what happens to the Haitians, but because there's cute girls on the team, right? Some of us snicker. We've been there, right? Consider the the man who's on the roof and he hits his thumb with the hammer. And the name of God proceeds from his lips. Or a well-intended pastor steps into the pulpit having prepared 30 hours in his books, but has failed to pray to the God that he speaks about concerning his message. These are examples for us of what it is to take the Lord's name in vain. It's the traffic in holy things in a mundane or common kind of way. Taking the Lord's name in vain is to fail to consider all that God is for the moment at hand. And more to the point, it wants to leverage God's name for something lesser in purpose or value. See, what is most shocking about our passage this morning is how seriously God takes it. We can tend to think about taking the Lord's name as a trivial thing, but God considers it treason. Such that the name taken too lightly is worthy of His punishment. See, I think if we're honest with ourselves... We must admit that the heart of the 21st century American evangelical church is quite askew from what God describes here in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. And so the questions that stand before us today are these. Why does God take His name so seriously? And how are we in this 21st century church environment to honor His command? I want to bring in front of you our kind of big idea this morning. It says this, that the life submitted to the fullness of God will use words in a God-honoring way. More specifically, it will use the name of God in a God-honoring way. So the life submitted to the fullness of God, all that God is, will be careful to trod with the name of God in an unholy manner. We're going to see this, and we're going to divide this whole sentence into two different things for our outline this morning. The commandment given in the first part of chapter 20, verse 7, it says, do not take God's name in vain. And then the second part, the outcome of this disobedience, God assigns guilt in the second half in verse 7b. Let's dive in this morning. You might find in these coming passages or these coming weeks as we walk through these 10 commandments that we have a pattern that develops in these sermons we're going to kind of first show you what the command entails and what it tells us about our god and then we'll discuss how you and i cannot actually kind of uphold that command and and how we actually break and violate these commands and thirdly we'll see that jesus actually did fulfill these commands and now he has given us his righteousness through our faith in him Fourthly, we'll finally review how you and I made new in Christ might not uh, might now be made capable of fulfilling the command that God has given us. So let's dig in this morning in Exodus chapter twenty, verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. The commandment is given: Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And I want to unpack this. We're going to actually ask three different questions of this first half of the verse. The first is, what is it to take? What does vain mean? And why is the name of the Lord so important? Start with that first question. What is it to take? You see it there in verse 7, you shall not take. That word means to lift up or to bear. It might uh, take might might point to any variety of meanings, but here it seems to have this kind of idiomatic usage. It's used to figuratively kind of pick something up. It's to employ a concept. Namely, uh, when we use our mouths, to use God's name, we are employing something significant. Okay? So we're picking up the name of God. We're using the name of God, as it were. What does it mean to do this in vain? Verse 7 kind of uses this term in vain to simply mean emptiness. So another way of saying what what he's saying here in chapter 20, verse 7, Alec Mateer says, is to lift up God's name to emptiness. The phrase highlights the purposelessness of our idolatry. We're lifting up something heavy, something valuable to something that's nothing. We're using this name of God in the name of nothingness. Which brings us to our third question. Why does God care so much about the use of His name? We remember the book of Exodus as we've gone through it. God's name has been prominent in this book, hasn't it? If we were to kind of go back and kind of run through the history of everything that's happened in Exodus, we would see this. We'd see Exodus 3.15. God said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you This is my what? My name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the giving of God's name, Yahweh, in Exodus chapter three. We fast forward six chapters into Exodus chapter nine. And God is speaking to Moses about his, his wording to Pharaoh. He says, for this purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my what? My name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In Exodus 15, Moses is reflecting on God's saving work as he's buried the Egyptian army underneath the Red Sea. And he says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Exodus 33, in the future, from where we are, God will pass before Moses and proclaim his name before him the lord the lord a god merciful and compassionate slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness see god is consistently revealing himself throughout this book of exodus and he's showing this people israel who he is and not just his name like what to call him this is bound up to his character Amidst Israel's plight with Egypt, we learn that God hears the prayers of his people. In Exodus chapter 2, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses stumbles upon this burning bush and learns that wherever God is present, that's holy ground. God exhibits a strong hand with Pharaoh. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. He turns the Nile into blood. He beckons frogs and gnats and flies. He, he plagues and boils and, and gives hail and locusts and darkness and it's the lord that brings the angel of death to the nation of egypt so god is present with his people in pillars of cloud and pillars of fire and when egypt was or when israel was pinned against the sea god saves his people in exodus chapter 14 Moses declares in Exodus 15, like we just saw, that God is a warrior. God is the provider for them in the wilderness as they make their way to Mount Sinai. He provides water and food and eventually manna. See, all of these things are things in God's character that Israel has learned about, not just His name, Yahweh, it's who He is and what He's done. This is bound up in this heavy name of God. And so when he's saying, you shall not lift up my name to something empty, he said, "I've showed you who I am. I've showed you what I'm all about." We might forget that this morning, this Exodus 20 falls in the in the context of these other commandments. And so, uh, two weeks ago, Ryan unpacked this first commandment that we find in verse three: "You shall have no other gods before me." Last week, Brian did a great job also of of unpacking verses four through six of what it is to worship graven images. See, if these first two commandments told us not to worship other gods, this third commandment tells us not to make God less than he is. If God has revealed himself as holy and powerful and saving, we cannot take up his name lightly. And truthfully, to take God's name up without the fullness of its meaning is to use it for idolatrous purposes. You might say, wait, run that one by me again. To take up God's name without the fullness of its meaning is to use it for idolatry in two different ways. We are either taking up God's name for some purpose independent of him, leveraging his name for our ends and thus making an idol to be worshipped, or we are making him less than he actually is and thereby worshipping a false god. Either way, our taking of the Lord's name is idolatrous in its nature. See, we're like those... Children, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You say to a six-year-old, set a 10-gallon bucket filled of water in front of them and say, six-year-old, go ahead and carry that. And the six-year-old pulls with all of his might and tries to get that bucket of water up. Meanwhile, half of it spills all over the ground, all over the child. See, odds are they haven't considered the weight of the bucket. And when they try to pick it up, they will invariably spill half of it all over the ground. See, you and I, when we come upon the presence of the holy, when we come into the presence of a God who has declared his name to us, who has shown us exactly who he is, we're like that child with the bucket. And when we go to pick it up, we most likely have not considered his holiness righteousness his truthfulness his faithfulness his goodness his mercy his kindness we're likely to spill the contents of who he is on the ground if we take the lord's name in vain anytime we fail to consider him in our words and it's here that we're guilty as charged aren't we If we're being honest with ourselves, we've stated God's name without pause. We have most likely taken his holy name onto our sinful lips without reflection upon his holiness. We have most likely leveraged His, his holy name, his purpose, for our purpose. We have profaned his name with our pronouncements. We have mingled his sacred nature with our secular purpose. be clear we're talking about more than just using the name jesus or god in our frustration piper says that this is the kindergarten version of the third commandment it's the prohibition against you know, swearing the name of god which is frustrating enough right if you've ever been around someone who claims to know god but continues to na- use his name in vain But here we have something even more pressing. See, we've broken this commandment when we've taken God's holy name into the idolatries that he's forbidden us to have. When we lightly take up his name or flippantly use his name in a way that doesn't honor who he is. But there's a second half to this commandment that we got to consider there too. Like look at verse 20, verse seven. He says this, he says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. See, the outcome of this disobedience is that we, get, we are attributed guilt based upon our taking up of God's name in vain. Now notice what he says specifically first. He says that Yahweh, God is the judge. Notice how many times uh, that his name God uses his name in the prohibition against misusing his name, right? He he actually uses the name here. The Lord, Yahweh, will not hold him guiltless. It's as if to say, you will either show your value of God by not misusing my name or learn my value through judgment. In fact, note how many times God has given us his name throughout these 10 commandments already in verse 2 he says i am the lord your god i am yahweh your god i'm the self-existent one verse 5 i the lord your god am a jealous god verse 7 the lord will not hold him guiltless See, see god assigns guilt because he is the one not to be used flippantly the lord will not hold him guiltless In case there were any mystery, the word guiltless is most often translated unpunished. God is going to assign guilt for his name's misuse. I remember being a child and my father uh, took me into the garage and he showed me around some power tools. Now, some of you are saying, Jason, you should never play with power tools. That's well beyond you. Yes, my father warned me about this. He, He warned me that anytime you pick up a power tool, you should know its use and exactly what you intend to do with it. We're like a child playing with these power tools. We underestimate God's power and purpose, and we place ourselves in danger when we take the Lord's name in vain. My wife and I bought a uh, an oven uh, a year ago or something. And uh, it has this feature that after you use the countertop or the top cooker thing, Yeah, laugh at me, please. uh, There's an indicator light that tells you when the surface is still hot. I don't know if you've ever seen this feature. It exists to warn you that something is not to be touched. We are to be careful because this thing, if touched, will burn us. See, this commandment exists to warn us that if this behavior is present, we're in danger. See, our words bear importance for our eternity, don't they? We might think to ourselves that we can use words flippantly, especially in our modern culture. You can use names and titles, you can use different things, and you can kind of interchange words and meaning as you see fit, and you can kind of uh, actually manipulate things. But when God actually speaks, he says our words have meaning. I want to draw our attention to Matthew chapter 12. If you have a Bible, would you turn there with me? Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you. Well, let's just back up here for a second. We know this passage because it sounds so familiar to us. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, what the mouth speaks. And he kind of concludes this argument in verses 36 and 37. And he says this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus tells us that every careless word will be accounted for. Jesus tells us that our words indicate our spiritual state now we just pause here for a second and we take consideration how hard is it for you to go through a day without speaking a single thoughtless word how hard is it for you to go through the day to speak even of the lord in a thoughtless way you're tired you've done your long day at work the one thing you want is a good hearty meal Your wife makes the favorite dish that you have. She sets it on the table in front of you. You can smell the smell of that goodness wafting into your nostrils and you're ready to just eat, just to consume. And so you spit out a few sentences in prayer so that you can fast forward to this process of digestion. We have taken the holy things upon our lips. Not considering their weight. See, if we're honest with ourselves, our words most likely condemn us. If Jesus says this in verse 37, he says, Your words, by your words, you will be justified, that is, pronounced righteous, or by your words, you will be condemned. One or the other. Which is it going to be? Are you going to be condemned by your words, or will you be pronounced righteous? All of us should. Take inventory and find ourselves to have fallen short in this particular area where we might use God's name flippantly. We might speak of holy things profanely. It's worth noting, though, this morning, isn't it? That Jesus lived by his Father's words. If we're tempted to be flippant about the use of God's name, Jesus was always completely in tune with his Father. An example of this happens in Matthew chapter 4. After Jesus has been baptized and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's sent out into the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's incredibly hungry. And it's in that moment that Satan comes to him and wants to tempt him with three particular temptations, the first of which is if he would make these stones into bread. The idea is that, Jesus, why don't you just bypass your Father's will and accomplish the miracle that you need for your own sustenance? If you would just bypass this relationship that you have with your father if you would just kind of cut that short and just do the thing that you need to do jesus responds like this in deuteronomy chapter 8 from with a quotation for deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 this man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the lord Jesus himself exhibits this life that is in submission to the words of God, that Jesus wouldn't take this thing flippantly, that he wouldn't just kind of bypass his father's words. He needed to live off of his father's words. He needed those words more than he needed bread. See, Jesus lived by his Father's word, such that Jesus could say with full integrity, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. He says that in John chapter 5. In John chapter 1, the author, John, says that Jesus was the Word, that Jesus was so in tune with the realities of his Father, so submitted to the realities of his Father, that he was constantly exemplifying exactly what God's purpose was. You know, I wonder sometimes if Genesis chapter 1, when when somebody says in the Trinity, they say, let us make man in our image. If one person is speaking and the other two members of the Trinity are nodding, There's such agreement, such communion amongst the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that when we look at Jesus, we get a perfect picture of who the Father is. And when we look at the Father, we get a perfect picture of who the Spirit is. And when we look at the Spirit, we get a perfect picture of who the Son is because they are in total agreement with one another. So the question before us is, do we take up the Lord's name in such a way that others would see the goodness and graciousness of our God? Or do we cut that purpose short for our own ends? See, Jesus lived by his father's words. But it's interesting this morning, isn't that Jesus died as a blasphemer? In fact, that's the accusation that the religious rulers brought against Jesus in Matthew 26. They said that he was a blasphemer, he spoke evil. Leviticus 24, verse 16 says that whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. so this is exactly what they sought to do with Jesus. The idea is that a blasphemer is one who slanders the sacred, who speaks evil of what's holy, who violates what's holy with his profane words. And so they're accusing Jesus of speaking profanely about the Father. So they put him to death on a cross. Jesus, who lived by his Father's word, died as though he were a blasphemer. He has taken that punishment on his person at the cross so that all of us who have taken God's holy name onto our sinful lips without cause, all of us who have hijacked God's holy name for our own purpose, all of us who knowingly or unknowingly used his name as a curse, all of us can find his grace because Christ, the Father's true word, was forsaken so we can find forgiveness. Now, I just want to stop and stay and linger here for a while. I don't want us to thoughtlessly kind of apply the goodness and graciousness of the gospel. We would actually be violating the commandment we're talking about. Sinner, if you've thoughtlessly spoken about your God, Jesus has faithfully taken your punishment at the cross you no longer stand underneath the wrath of god now you are brought as a rebel as a sinner as one who has rebelled against god's purpose and plan he has brought you to his table he has made you a son through your adoption in christ You who are far off, you who spoke rebellious words against the righteous, holy God, you who violated Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you are invited in through Christ. Some of us, we're hearing the first part of this sermon and saying, no, you don't understand, I'm condemned. I know, I know I've spoken these thoughtless words about this righteous, holy God. And the second half of this verse speaks to me. I have incurred God's guilt upon me because of my thoughtless words. But there is a Savior who has given every word of God consideration in every action that He has performed. And he has faithfully fulfilled all of these commandments so that all who have faith in him are not condemned, but are invited in to the righteousness of our God. See, I want this word not to be a band-aid to us. I want this word to be a surgery in us. I think Ryan used that distinction a couple weeks ago found it so helpful band-aids don't fix anything right they just cover them over surgeries bring reparation repair this word can be a repair to us see i want this to do surgery in this because i i'll confess to you from this very pulpit i have failed to consider the seriousness of the things of which we speak I have not entered into it with a due sense of its importance and weight. I have trafficked in the holy things without holiness. Jen Wilkin, she has a great work called the Ten Words or something along those lines. She says this, he says, we represent a holy God accurately when we preach what we practice. You too have taken your God's name to your purpose. You have co opted God's name for your agenda. You have taken his name into your speech in a way that has minimized him. You and I both need this substitute, Jesus. We do, don't we? Our words matter, our words speak of our reality. You ever sit down with a child who's just learned to talk first of all there's just the idea of trying to understand what they're saying they're saying like what the frisbee flies at midnight what what is what are you saying what what's happening but their words match their reality don't they remember my wife and one of my children were on a flight and they're descending to uh land the plane and they asked that we turn off all electronic devices. Well, sure enough, there was an Elmo video playing, and so there was this scream heard at the back of the plan going, me!" right? Our words tell of our reality. Sometimes our words betray our godless perspectives, don't they? You know, if you listen to someone long enough, I guarantee you they'll tell you all about what they trust in and what they desire found myself recently speaking of flippant stupid things and being convicted in that saying i wish i would speak more consistently about things that matter i want to draw our attention this morning to uh, jen wilkin as i said this book she has written she highlights four ways that we take the lord's name in vain she calls it the sin of inconsistency the sin of misattribution the sin of lip service and the sin of informality. Let's look at the definition she has. The sin of inconsistency is when we fear a deficit is perceived in our character or our resolve, and we tend to bolster our words by swearing oaths. In fact, if you look historically about how the church has understood this third commandment, it's oftentimes just relegated to this idea of not swearing oaths. And certainly that is a violation or a way to violate this commandment, where we would kind of say, no, I promise, I I swear by... Whatever. In fact, I think Jesus warns us against that in the book of Matthew. The sin of misattribution. We make our plan and execute it in the name of God, trading on his reputation to gain support for the direction we have devised. Or do that? I, I think the Lord says, sometimes for some of us, it's the Lord told me, Other times we might say, well, the Bible says, mainly what we're doing is we're kind of just slapping a little bit of Jesus onto the box of our agenda and shipping it off in his name. The sin of lip service. She says, we can also misuse the name of the Lord by speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives traffic and spiritual things we we want to speak like we're spiritual giants when really so small we want to uh, kind of weigh in on this weighty matter but it's all rooted in the flesh and not what the lord says in his word finally she says the sin of informality speaking disrespectfully or to god by succumbing to informality we we, we use God's name as a curse word. We, we kind of just use his name flippantly or, or without any kind of thoughts. See, what God desires for us in this commandment is not just that we would avoid idolatry. Right? That's the first two commandments, is that we would actually speak of him as a treasured thing. That our reality would be soaked up in who God is. So when we speak, our words would actually tell of the the thing that we're trusting in—the God of the universe. Our reality is to be is to be this life, this rich life that God has given to us. I mean, think about what Israel is is brought out of. They're brought out of this place of slavery where their their children are going to be thrown into a river if they're male. They're they're literally working day and night for these taskmasters that are brutally beating them if they're not actually doing what they're told to do. They are being mistreated, misused, as it were. And so one day, this man, Moses, walks into their camp and speaks of the God of their fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and how he desires to deliver them. And sure enough, Moses starts to speak to Pharaoh, and uh, these miraculous things keep happening. And, and finally, they're kind of exited out of the land of Egypt, and they go and Egypt is crushed in the Red Sea. The army of Egypt is crushed, and crushed in the Red Sea. And God is providing for them in the wilderness. And he takes them to this mountain. And he shows them the fullness of his holiness and his goodness and his mercy. And they tremble at the base of the mountain while God speaks these ten commandments to them. I mean, you'd be tempted in this moment if you were there in Israel. And again, God's saying, Don't take the name of my, or my name in vain. And you're seeing God uh, on the mountain, peals of lightning and thunder, and feeling the earth quake beneath you. And you're trembling at the sound of his voice. And you're saying, Yeah, that's not going to be an issue. I am so terrified right now. See, all of that is the reality that we're to be soaked up in. And isn't it a temptation for us as Christians in our 21st century world to wake up in the morning, to flip on our cell phones, to read the emails, to see what's on the agenda on the calendar for this day, to read our to-dos, to go to work, to get into our desk, to go about our workaday day life, to come home, to eat our dinner, to rub shoulders with our kids, to put our kids into bed, and to miss entirely this God who rules and runs this universe. Haven't we worked our reality in such a way where we would uh, actually not engage with God in any meaningful way, that we would take up his name upon our lips multiple times, but not consider the reality of his holiness and his goodness and his kindness to us? Feel like we need a reframing, feel like we need a new reality. Maybe if you're like me this morning, you're saying, Lord, I need you to to renew my focus on your power, authority, and goodness. Here's the good news. You're not left to do it alone. Guarantee you, if you were left with this third commandment to yourself, you would do nothing but break it. The good news is that God has granted us a new nature in Christ. Consider the tools that he has given us. First of all, this is not just a tool. It's a redemptive reality that God has raised us up to new life in Christ. The old things have gone. All things are new. He's given us his spirit to empower us to righteousness. He's granted us his precious promises in his word. He's given us the body of Christ around us to to kind of keep us in check so that we don't use God's name flippantly. All of these things are given to you as graces from this God to help fulfill this commandment. You're not left alone, Christian. You are empowered to do this thing. You are made new. You cannot do it on your own, but God has not left you alone. This is the good news of the gospel. God has empowered his people to do the things we could not do before because he's made us new in Christ. I pray to that end this morning. As we wrap up our time, I want to pray that God uses us to glorify his name as we are submitted to his righteous and holy will. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We do not desire to come before you flippantly today. When we take up your name upon our lips, we want to honor you. We want to consider the fullness of who you are. We don't want to minimize, to oversimplify, to ignore who you are. So Lord, we thank you that you have made us new in your Son, Jesus. As you have empowered us by your Spirit, that you've given us the gifts of your Word and your people so that we might walk in righteousness. So, Lord, help us to measure our words when we speak of you. Help us to not speak flippantly. And help us to live... the fullness of of what you've shown us in Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.